I'm glad to be with you. Uh, if you're tuning in with us via live stream, Sarah is holding a sleeping baby. That's why she's not screaming today. So, um, so glad to be with you. You know, you got to be careful about what kind of influences you let in your life. Like you guys gotta, you guys gotta be wary of the kind of material that you let me listen to because I've been hearing a lot about a, a pastor that um, preaches for like an hour and a half and like people are into it. I'm like, oh man, like if he can go an hour and a half, like maybe I can go that long. All that to say, like typically I have like one uh, page of notes and it's very sparse and there's a lot of space in it. Um, and today, I even pulled the title off of it because the title was taking up too much space. And I'm like, I need, I need more space for notes here. We're going to go through a significant number of verses, um, but they're fascinating. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share them with you. And we're taking the next step in our series that we've called Faith Under Fire. Um, Jesus did not pull punches in saying that if you are in the world, you will have trouble. And if you follow me, the world will be hostile towards you. If you build your life on the principles that I am uh, encouraging you to do, that I'm exhorting you to do, then you're going to look different than your neighbors. You're going to look different than the people that you work with. And they're not going to like you for it. And so how is it that we operate uh, when our faith is under fire, when we live in a hostile environment? And we opened up last week in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, and began to look at this, uh, this man's life, this young boy's life. Um, we read that he was a, a young kid in the land of Israel, that there was this invading army that came in and took him captive and put him in essentially a boarding school to re-educate him so that he would not think in the way that his father and his mother and all of his ancestors would have taught him to think, to worship the God of Israel, Yahweh. But instead, they wanted him to think Babylonian. They wanted him to think uh, with a multiplicity of gods and, and to have a, a different kind of wisdom. Um, and we saw that God watched over him and his friends and protected them. Um, but being in a hostile environment, uh, it seems like whenever we overcome one obstacle, there's another one waiting on the other side. Um, I think of an army uh, boot camp um, training exercise where you know, you're going through the obstacle course and you, your team works together and you get over the wall only to be face-to-face -face with like barbed wire that you've got to crawl under. So sometimes life feels like that. Like, can I just get a break, please? Um, and so if you're feeling that this morning, like, I'm excited to share this story with you. We're going to be together in Daniel chapter 2. If you want to open or navigate to that, Daniel chapter 2, it's on page 926 in the Blue Bibles if you want to use those. Daniel chapter 2. And there's so much to say. So I will, uh, I will endeavor to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he leads this morning and not say everything uh, that comes to mind. Let's, uh, let's begin praying, and I'm going to pray uh, to begin, and then I'll invite you that as I move towards the disciples' prayer, if you just join me and pray together with me. Lord Jesus, um, I do pray that you'd be leading and guiding and directing, that by your Spirit you would um, encourage our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take center stage, that you would take all of the glory and the honor to yourself. If there's anything that I want to say um, that comes solely from me and wanting to build myself up, God, I pray that you would kill that 
or diminish that, but that you would increase. Lord, would your word be proclaimed clearly, and would your um, spirit convict us and help to shape our hearts to look like you? And we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's read together in Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, this is the king of Babylon, he had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruin. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let, let the king tell his servants the, the dream and, and, and we'll show you its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make, known, make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dreams, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and became furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. I'm going to pause there. So we've got a king uh, who has a bad dream, and because he's a king and he's in power, he asks his uh, advisors to come and to share with him the dream. Um, but there's, or share with him what the dream means, because when you're a king and you have a scary dream, you automatically assume that that means that there's something wrong in the kingdom or something's going to happen. So he wants to know what's going on. So he calls these guys. And, and notice in, in, chap, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it's the second year of his reign. So he's still kind of new on the throne, but he's had some, some victories under his belt. Remember, he was the guy who walked in and took over Jerusalem. So he has invaded foreign lands and taken captives and brought them home to be re-educated. Like he's had some victories. He's had some success under his belt. And now he's trying to figure out, what does this dream mean? I don't know what to do. And, and, and I wonder if perhaps he's just a little paranoid. There's nothing that will poison our hearts like success. Because if we have had any measure of success, we'll want to preserve it at all costs. 
Let him who has ears, let him hear. He's a new king. He's had some successful campaigns. And, and Daniel and his friends have all been captured. Remember chapter 1? They've all been captured. They're all here. And they're in um, uh, king council advisory school. Like they're in the re-education program. So they're either still in class learning how to be Babylons or they have uh, learning how to be Babylonians or they have just graduated. Like the timeline is, is really, really close. So they've been uh, taken, their whole city has been destroyed, their families have been either killed or have taken into slavery somewhere else. They've been transported thousands and thousands of miles to a new city. They've been put in this new school that's designed to re-educate them. And now they're either getting close to graduation day or they have just been graduated. And, they, and now the king has put up this crazy green dream catcher type test for all his wise men to pass and they realize oh we're in that camp like if he kills all the wise men like that's us we just got here and now our necks are on the line so what's the king do like what's his his thinking he says okay i need these guys to interpret the dream for me but how can i know that what they're telling me is true i know i'm not going to tell them what the dream was because if I give them something to kind of hang their hat on, then they can manipulate that and they can make it say what they want to say. So I'm not going to tell them what I had uh, a dream about, but I'm going to ask them to tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. And the person who tells me what the dream was and is right, I can probably trust them that they know what the interpretation is. Have you ever had somebody in your life who just regularly demands, like, I just need you to read my mind? I'm friends enough with my boss to be able to share with you. Like, that's kind of how his MO is. He's just like, Mike, you should have known that. Like, how would I have known that? You didn't ever tell me that. He's like, yeah, you just need to read my mind. Like, uh, Jason, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. And so this king is, is adamant. Not only does he say, I need you to read my mind so that I can trust your interpretation, but if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Um. I, let, me, let me sweeten the pot a little bit. If you do it right, like, I'll give you some riches and I'll, I'll make your name great. But, like, if you don't, like, I'm just, I'm just going to wipe you off the mat. How's that sound, um, sir? <laughs> the thing that you're asking us to do uh, is impossible. We, we can't do that. And neither can anybody else. There's, there's not a man on earth that could read your mind. You have lost it somewhere. The only person who could, the only way that this could ever actually work is if there was, if like God, one of the gods got involved and they read your mind and then they told you, but like, God, that's not what gods do. Gods live up on the mountain. Gods do their own God business and like, we're trying to placate them. They don't try to get involved in our affairs. So like, if there was a God that would do that, like, like that's, that's super weird. Like, that's, that doesn't happen because that, gods are not interested in all of this. Like, gods don't dwell with flesh. That's not how this works. Like, the thing that you're asking for is impossible. He's like, all right, well, kill them all. That's it. Verse 13, so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. Now, let me just pause. <clears throat> this is before highways. This is before uh, truck stops and interstates, and this is before uh, cell phones 
and before communication. So when the king said something in Babylon and he has this big, massive kingdom, if he gives a decree, it's going to take a couple of minutes. People are literally going to have to walk and carry the message around, and, and somebody's going to have to go with a sword and start stabbing people. So this is going to take some time. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint a time, uh, to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So I'll pause there. Daniel, Daniel, somebody shows up at Daniel's door and says, all right, like, I'm the executioner, I'm here to kill you. Why is this so urgent? Like, can you at least give me some context for why I'm getting ready to lose my head here? And he says, and he tells him what's going on. Like, the king's lost his marbles. He's got this crazy dream catcher, like, proposition. And you're in the group of guys that are supposed to be able to do this. And he's like, I just got here. I literally just got here. Like, I just passed school or I'm getting ready to go into grad. Like, okay, um, this is going to take some time. It took you some time to get here. Okay, uh, all right. Would you send a message back to the king and ask him if I could have an appointment with him because I would like to share with him the interpretation of the dream? Please. <laughs> like, at the very least, he's not going to get stabbed today, right? I don't, know, I don't know if he knew what was going on. Like, I don't know what degree of confidence Daniel actually has in whatever's getting ready to happen. Um, and would you, like... The thing that I love about Scripture, the thing that I love about the Bible, is, is this is so real. Like, you cannot read these people's stories and think, like, somebody just made this up. Because if it was made up by, like, a religious dude in a monastery somewhere, everybody would have the same reaction every time. But you look at the various ways that people describe when somebody comes and, like, shares with them their impending doom. Like, how often does that happen in the Bible? Oh, let me tell you. It actually happens kind of regularly. But you've got Daniel here that says, hey, hey, send a message back and uh, tell him I want an appointment with him. But you've got Mordecai in Esther chapter 4. When he hears that there's an impending doom coming for him and all his people, he rips his clothes and he starts crying and he starts praying and, and he goes into his a time of mourning to beg God to have mercy. Like immediately, it's public and he's, he's asking, even going to the queen to ask her to intercede on their behalf. Or you've got Paul in Philippians chapter 1 when he's in prison and he's faced with his death and he says, you know what? To live is Christ. Like if I live, like that's great for you, but if I die, that's gain. Like I'm okay for that. Like I'm game. Let's play. There's a variation of how people respond to the news of impending doom. And the good news is, um, for us at least, we have the privilege of being emotionally and rationally objective in our reception of this news. <clears throat> it's possible that if we were reading these verses, you know, in our quiet time, early in the morning, with a warm cup of coffee and a blanket on our shoulder, that we could probably read these verses and start nodding off a little bit. We have the benefit of objectivity, is what I'm saying. Daniel is face-to-face -face with the, 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 the sharpened, the, the business end of a sword, <laughs> 
And so we can be like, all right, okay, this isn't like, this isn't actually like Mordecai. Like Mordecai, they were going to do genocide. They were going to wipe all the Jews out. Um, like this is just a subsection of people that Daniel happens to be in. Like they're not even faith, faithful people. Like it seems like only four of the people that came out of Israel and got into this re-education, it seems like only four of them had the resolve to stay faithful to God anyway. So like four guys, like what's, what's the deal? Like, God's going to let some pagans be killed off. Pagan wise men, pagan magicians. Like, yeah, let's, let's do that. God, I thought God was against witchcraft. And yet, for Daniel, it was a life and death matter. And apparently, Daniel had already discovered he had some kind of a knack for dreams. And I wish I knew more about what how this came about, but in, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17, we already read that Daniel had, had, had a knack for dreams. He, some, God did something special with him that when a dream came around, he knew what to do with it. But still, typically, if you're given the interpretation of a dream, somebody's already given you the dream to interpret. But now Daniel has to play dream catcher. So what does he do? Huddle up. He goes to his house and he calls his, his faithful friends. He says, guys, we got to pray about this. I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't, I don't know. But like, if we don't intercede, if we don't pray, if we don't ask God to do this, like, this is the end of the line for us. We came all this way for nothing. We survived that march through the desert for nothing. We, we, we did the vegetable thing all through school for nothing. We can't quit yet. We got to ask God to intervene. This makes me wonder who do we call for spiritual backup? When problems come into our lives, or questions, or difficulties, or the business end of something sharp and pointy, who do we call on? We, we are part of several different communities. I, if you're, I, I, most of us are. Like we've got family, blood family that we're related to. We've got people that we talk to at work about stuff. Um, but when we come to moments of crisis in our life, who do we call on for backup? Do we call on people that we know are faithful and who are going to continue to point us in God's direction? Or do we call on people that we just kind of get along with? And maybe they'll tell us something that we'd like to hear, maybe not what we need to hear. So we've seen, I'm a, let, me, let me get a little bit Baptist on you for a minute. We've seen the peril the crisis, we've seen the plea. And now let's look together at the provision in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. It's kind of understated for all of the tension that's been building up. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have Now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. <laughs> the king said to declare to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. I'll pause there. So, the provision, God, God answers in the night. I'm curious as to what, what that looks like. How did he know? What did the voice of God sound like? And we don't have the details of that. It's super kind of an understated thing. We don't have the details of what that sounded like, but we do have the details about the next steps that Daniel took. I I don't know about you. Sometimes I get frustrated at the details that we're missing in Scripture, and I I get mad with God. I'm like, hey, why don't you tell us more about that? That's the thing that I want to know about. And I I can begin to be critical, um, but God wants us to pay attention to the things that he gave us details about and not be fixated on the details of the things that he keeps for himself. So what is it that we ought to be fixated on? Daniel's answer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He, he, he pulls out his guitar and he starts singing a song. He paused and he praised in the midst of chaos in the midst of him and all of his friends facing execution, in the midst of losing his job, after all of the the destruction that has already happened in his life, he paused to praise. There are no voices in this world who will encourage you to stop and thank God for his good gifts to us. 
All of the voices that compete in our world are going to continually tell you to press on, keep going, you deserve this, you deserve more, keep going. And there's nobody who's going to say, hey, why don't you, why don't you stop a minute and just thank God for what he has already done. Do you realize all that has happened has been in Daniel's head so far, right? Daniel doesn't know if he has the right answer. Daniel doesn't know if, if, if this is actually going to work out. Daniel doesn't know if, if the king is going to accept the interpretation because if, if Daniel has the dream and has the interpretation but the king doesn't like what the dream means, then maybe Daniel's head's on the line anyway. He's not out of the forest yet. He maybe can see the first glimmers of light where the trees break like right through the top, but he's not out of the forest yet. But he pauses to thank God for what he has already done. The strength of our resolve is directly related to the depth of our intimacy. The strength of our resolve is directly related to the depth of our intimacy. Okay, spiritually, that makes sense. Okay, if I have intimacy with God, then I'm going to be more resolved to follow him and to trust him when he gives me answers and when he gives me guidance. Like, the, the strength of my resolve is directly related to the depth of our intimacy. But we know this, like, we, we, we know this also in marriage, don't we? If there are intimacy issues, if, if we feel distant from our spouse, temptations are more likely to creep in to pull us away. We have to continually develop intimacy with our spouse in order to keep the relationship strong because the thing that holds us together is a covenant. It's a promise. It's a resolve. And the strength of our resolve is directly related to the depth of our intimacy. I'll just say, don't stop dating So he's got private praise. He's in his prayer closet. He's writing this song. He's singing this song. But he doesn't stop there. He then turns to public acclaim. (laughs) When he goes in before the king, the king says, can you tell me the, the thing that I'm asking you to do? He says, no, nobody can. Why'd you come all this way to tell me that you can't? Nobody can, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he is the one who has given you the dream, and the dream that he gave you was about the future of what's to come. And I'm coming to tell you that that's what your dream is about, not because I'm the smartest guy, not because I've got wisdom more than anybody else that you were just trying to kill, but because God in his mercy wants to tell you what the dream that he gave you is actually about, and he sent me to tell you the dream. When put on a public platform, Daniel does not hesitate about where this information comes from. There's, there's no uncertainty in his answer to the king about who provided this information. And in a world of competing voices, shouting louder and louder, shouting other people down, God's word rings true. So when God does do a work in our lives, he meets us in times of testing, 
and he delivers us, and we have the opportunity, we have times where people ask us, what was going on there? What, what was going on? How do we describe God's work in our lives? We say, oh, it was, just, it was just circumstance. It was crazy how that all worked out. Like, you wouldn't believe it. We would say, it was, it was not me. Like, I did not figure that out. I'm not smart enough to put two and two together on that one. Like, that was totally a God thing. God brought these things from, from desperate, disparate places of the planet to bring them together to work out here for some reason. How do we describe God's work in our lives? Why? Why does it matter? Because God alone holds our future in his hands. God alone holds our future in his hands. If you're familiar with the story, you're thinking, okay, like this is all going to pan out fine. But understand, Daniel doesn't know that. He's standing in front of the king of this nation who has the power to execute him like at a whim. And he says, I can't answer this, but God can. God can, the God of my fathers, the, the God of Israel. You remember Israel? You like walked in there and you besieged it and you massacred people and you made all of them suffer and then you took the treasures out of the temple and you carried them away and put them in the temple of your God because you thought that your God was stronger than that God. Remember, like that God, that's the one who has the dream, who gave you the dream and that's the one who sent me to tell you what it means. That God that you have defeated is here. Don't forget that God is not held captive and that God alone holds our future in his hands. So I want to read to you the dream. I I was tempted to um, summarize this for you, but I want to read it for you um, because it's going to matter or it's going to come up again. It's not, this is not going to be the last time that we talk with some of this material. So I want, I want to read it for you. I know it's a lot of verses. It can be a little bit confusing. Um, but let me give you a different kind of picture to hang your hat on. Like As we're describing this, basically the gist of the vision is Iron Man. All right? Here we go. In verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, a great statue, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked... A stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. 
and some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So he says, look, you saw in your dream a giant statue, a giant image, and the top was made of gold, and then it was silver, then it was bronze, and then it was iron, and then it was iron and some clay mixed in. And what, what this is talking about is talking about the future. And you, king, you're, the, you're, you're in a good spot. Like, you're the golden head. <clears throat> um, all the glory belongs to you right now. And uh, all the power and the might and the glory and, and, and all the people and the children of man and all of the beasts of the field and all the birds of the heaven, like, you rule over all of that. You are the golden age, literally the golden age. You're the golden head of this statue. But after you, there's going to come another kingdom, and it's not going to be as glorious and there's another kingdom that's going to be even less glorious than that. And then there's going to be a kingdom after that that's really strong, but not as glorious as you. And then there's another one that's like not as strong. It has a little bit of strength in it, but it's, uh, it's mixed up. What's interesting about this vision, I don't know if, you, if this is the first time you've read this or uh, if this is something that you're familiar with. What's interesting about this dream is that we're, we're looking at Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom, which was the first like, kingdom that ended up taking over a large portion of the world. Um, and we're going to read, as we continue through uh, this book, there's another kingdom that comes up and takes over them and then expands the kingdom a little bit. Um, and the progression of what happens in the political environment of the globe at this time is so exact to follow the description of this dream that there are people who say there's no way this was a prophecy. This is too accurate. This must have been written after all of that happened. So if you do any kind of research and any kind of academic work on the book of Daniel, there are going to be a whole group of people that say, well, Daniel was written after the Roman Empire already existed because the, the visions of the dream are just way too compelling and way too accurate to describe the political landscape of the globe. But there is no evidence other than that that this wasn't written at that time, that the dream didn't come to Daniel before all of this happened. God sees and God intends the rise and fall of kingdoms and the transfer of glory and strength between nations comes at his direction. God alone holds our future in his hands. In a time where we feel the tension of global priorities more than probably any other uh, generation that has existed, Rest with me in the fact that God alone holds our future in his hands. And that the transfer 
of glory and of strength from one kingdom to another happens at his direction, according to his plan. I love our country. It may not endure forever. And I'm not discouraged by that because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which, as described in this vision, grows and becomes a great mountain in and of itself. An uncut stone that wasn't cut by hand, it's not shaped by hand. This is something that has to be supernatural. It comes and it strikes this statue, and the statue is destroyed. It's not just like shattered and falls. It doesn't just crumble like rubble, like you'd expect metal to do. It doesn't just, it becomes dust and gets blown away by the wind. It is utterly destroyed by this stone. It's just, it's just a rock. But it's not just a rock, it's a living rock. <laughs> it's a living rock that grows and grows and grows and becomes a whole mountain. And the kingdoms of this earth yield their glory to it. Is our hope securely in the glory of Jesus' kingdom? It's a question that's difficult to wrestle with, but one I think is worthwhile. Because God alone holds our future in his hands. And just to wrap up, in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel, which, by the way, kings don't do that. He paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. By the way, he's thinking of Daniel as a god there. You don't offer incense to people. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So Nebuchadnezzar's impressed. Like, he got the right answer. And I suspect, like, I don't, it doesn't say, like, whether he was, like, super gung-ho about the interpretation. Like, yeah, there's going to be a kingdom after me that takes over my kingdom, and it's a little bit less glorious than mine. Or whether he was just like, I'm a golden head. You got that right, son. Let me give you a promotion. But notice, too, that this success, which leads to a promotion, also leads to a scattering. Daniel says, hey, like, I didn't get here by myself. There was a huddle. There were some people in the trenches with me as we interceded that the, the God of heaven, the most high God, would give us the answer to this. It wasn't just me. There are also these friends. And if, if they hadn't have prayed with me, I wouldn't have found it. Remember, God is the one who did this, and he did this through us. Don't forget them either. He says, great, all right. So I'm going to take you guys. I'm going to set you up over provinces, which is a promotion. Great, but now you have to move. So this core of strength, these, these guys that had found strength and, and fellowship together are now going to be separated. There's a scattering. Which 
could be disappointing. But don't miss that God's mission is often strengthened by the scattering of his people. You, you see it also in Acts. In Acts chapter 8, the, the, the church had been planted in Jerusalem and they'd stuck in Jerusalem. They were teaching in Jerusalem. And then Stephen gets killed and people start killing Christians and people who profess the name of Jesus. And so people leave Jerusalem after that. There's a scattering, scattering to the winds. And God's mission is often strengthened by the scattering of his people. So, though we may be disappointed and though we may feel alone and isolated from the people who are going to support us spiritually, do we see every shakeup in our lives as an opportunity? Because God's not finished writing stories with these young men. Do we see every shakeup in our lives as an opportunity because God alone holds our future in his hands? Would you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the challenge of these texts. God, um, our dreams are something that's outside of our control. I can think of friends who have crazy dreams that they hate, and yet there's nothing they can do to, to stop them. They rob them of sleep. And so, God, I don't know what our, our comfortability is with you speaking through dreams of you giving revelation. But Lord, we see it here, and we see that you used it at this time to compel a king of a mighty nation who was in direct opposition to you, literally waged a war against you and your people. Pause and acknowledge you as the great wise one and revealer of mysteries. Lord, would you embed in us a heart of humility that when we come to you, we'd acknowledge that you know the right way for us to go. Would you help us to trust you with our lives, with our present, and with our future? And would you help us to take steps to faithfully follow you into the plans that you have for us? It's in your name that we ask. Amen.